0: Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I love that song. Uh, this morning, as I was uh, getting ready, I turned on the the Pandora app on my phone, and that was one of the songs that came on. And so I got to sing it twice today. Uh, but uh, hopefully, uh, um, in the, in this setting, it maybe sounded better because I had uh, their their uh, voices with me. But. I uh, already claimed ownership of that sign, but I also want to give hearty agreement to that sign over there as well, just so the record is straight. Um, and uh, but as I, as I told her, I said, you know, both both signs go together for, for the both of us. All right, you know, we we're all sinners, uh, but those who have been saved by God's grace—that's what the word saint means. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're flawless or you're sinless. But we are sinners saved by the grace of God. And uh, so we can claim both of those. And uh, one day that sin will be gone, as they just sang. uh, We'll be in the Lord's presence 10,000 years and forevermore uh, as saints uh, worshiping Him for what He has done. So I want to encourage you to open your Bible with me to the book of Psalms. It will be in chapter 2 today. Psalm 2, our sermon title is Crown Him with Many Crowns. We're continuing our series that we began last week called the Hebrew Hymn Book, and looking at select psalms uh, from a Christian perspective and uh, seeing how we are to praise God accordingly based on those words. Now this past Wednesday, perhaps you heard on the news that North Korea claimed to have uh, detonated a hydrogen bomb, and uh, there's been a lot of doubts about whether or not they did that, but it's just further proof that... Uh, once again nations rise against nations Jesus predicted that very thing we looked in uh, Mark chapter 13 Uh, he said that would happen and so that is no surprise to us that there are rogue nations like that that seek to harm others Uh, but what we also see from Psalm chapter 2 is not only do nations rise up against other nations but nations also rise up against God and that is the, the, the theme of our psalm this morning. Nations that oppose God and oppose His plan. But what we know about nations is this. Nations are, are groups of individuals. Nations are made up of individual people. And so as a nation opposes God, so do the individual peoples that comprise that nation. And so if we are to do anything with this psalm on, on the, the, the macro level, on the national level, we need to also think about the micro level, the individual level, and think about our response to what this has to say. And the only proper response is to submit your heart and your life to the leadership of God's anointed king. And that king is Jesus. We are called as individuals to submit our hearts in all of our lives to the leadership and the lordship of God's chosen and anointed King, Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to stand with me if you're able to this morning as we read for the words of Psalm chapter 2 and according to the book of Acts chapter 4 this was written by David underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Psalm chapter 2 verse 1 Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain." I will surely tell of the decrees of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice, and rejoice. With trembling, Do homage to the Son, that He not become angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, we ask for Your blessing upon us as we come to this time in our service. We open Your Word, and Father, You speak to us. And Lord, we pray that You would enable us to not only understand what the psalmist is saying, but also apply these words to our lives, and to our hearts. Father, may each and every one of us submit to your Lordship. And Lord, that will only happen if you first do a supernatural work in our hearts. God, help us to see the glory of Christ and be drawn to Him and surrender to Him. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Psalm 2 belongs to what they call a group of coronation psalms. As they as they coronate, they crown the king, it's meant to, to be part of a ceremony to install new kings upon the throne of Israel. And this, uh, as we have stated earlier, perhaps was written, uh, as, as Acts chapter 4 says, by David. And, and it's meant to, to be used as his descendants are installed upon the throne into the office of of kingship but from a a Christian and a New Testament perspective we of course know that the the holy descendant of David is Jesus Christ and so as we look at this psalm we have what we would consider maybe a dual perspective and in the immediate context it's referring to David and his ancestors as the literal kings of Israel and as they were crowned this psalm would have been used as part of that But also from the eternal perspective, from the larger and more significant perspective, this is a psalm about Jesus Christ, about the Son of God, and what the proper response ought to be to Him. If chapter 1, as we said last week, was the introduction to psalms, we might consider chapter 1 to be introduction part A, and chapter 2 to be introduction part B because they build off each other and they lead into the entirety of the book of Psalms we said last week that Psalms was broken up into five different books and perhaps each book was meant to represent or to mirror the five books of the law book one would accordingly reflect the book of Genesis and what do we see in Genesis? we see God creating Adam and Eve and placing them in a perfect garden and Psalm 1 ends with those words how blessed are those how blessed are those who do not walk in the way of the wicked And we come to chapter 2 and chapter 2 refers to what we might call the the fall as chapter 1 referred to the creation in the garden of Eden chapter 2 reflects for us the fall of mankind into sin. How do we know that? Well, the first part of the psalm, there, it's broken down into four stanzas. The first stanza talks about the rebellion of the multitude. The rebellion of the multitude. We have said earlier as we began this study that psalms is a book not only of songs and praise, but also it's a, a book that teaches us doctrine and theology. We see in this first stanza here what we might call anthropology, a, a theology of mankind. Who, who are we as human beings? And we see the rebellion of the multitude in verses 1 through 3. We see, first of all, this reflected in the mind of mankind in verse 1. They are devious. They are devious. He begins with asking this rhetorical question, why? Why are the nations, why are the are the peoples, or, or some translations uh, refer to the Gentiles or the heathen, those who don't know God, why are the nations in an uproar? Why are they so bent out of shape? Why is there so much turmoil? Why is there so much agitation? We might consider that a, a word that reflects like a, a stormy sea and the waves and how unsettled the mind of mankind is. Went to the zoo one time and, and saw in, in the exhibits there they had uh, three or four different exhibits kind of together and in one exhibit in the middle they had a tiger, a big large tiger. And in the exhibit right next to it there was some sort of animal looked like a kind of a wild boar type of thing. And so the tiger in the middle section was just pacing back and forth, nonstop, pacing back and forth, just watching that other animal on the other side of that fence. Just looked like it was just wanting to just tear that animal apart. It was agitated. And that's the picture we have of the nations. And the mind of mankind is just, it's just stirred up. It's devising. We see this idea in verse 1 also, devising, scheming within the mind, plotting. But the psalmist says vain things, empty things, pointless things, scheming and devising plans that will in no way ever work. But it doesn't stop it. It's constant, continual scheming against God. Devious in the minds, but also defiant. They are defiant in their attitude. Verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together. There's not very many things that will bring kings and rulers together and nations together. But the psalmist says they're united in this thing. They come together and they take counsel together against the Lord. Against the Lord. And it uses the name of God, the covenant name of God there, Yahweh, Lord in all caps, meaning that specifically the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that they're... Angry or, or, or their defiance against this idea of a higher power, this idea of, of, a, of a God force somewhere. Specifically, they are united against the God of the Bible, the God that we have come to worship today, the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. That is where their defiance is against specifically against the Lord and against His anointed. His anointed. In the Old Testament, they would pour oil on top of, of those who were being appointed specific offices, whether it be the uh, a king or sometimes a prophet or, or the priest. In this case, it's referring to the king against God's anointed. Now, this is a reference perhaps, as we said earlier, specifically to, to David and to his descendants Solomon and those who came after him as they were established in office, they would say, all the nations that don't know God, they do not like God, nor do they like God's king, God's representative. But that Hebrew word they're anointed Messiah, in the New Testament, the word Christ, they are united in their anger, in their defiance, against the one true and living God, and against His Christ, His representative, God in the flesh. They are defiant in their attitude. They don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Why? Verse 3 is because they are depraved. The nations in their heart, mankind in his heart is depraved. Verse 3, they say, let us tear their fetters apart and let us cast their cords away from us. We do no longer want these restrictions. God's righteous requirements. We want nothing to do with that. We want the freedom to sin all we want, and God and His Christ do not want us to do that. It kind of reminds me of growing up as a teenager in my parents' home. Any of y'all relate to that? You know, I can't wait till I get 18 and I can get out of here and I can do whatever I want to do. As long as you're underneath this, this roof, you're going, to, you're going to follow our rules. One of these days, I'm going to be out of here and life's going to be great. And then you get out and you say, man, I wish I could go back. I had it made. Life was, life was perfect and I didn't know it. That's the depraved that's the, the, the heart of mankind. I don't want these rules. I don't want these restrictions. God has all these righteous requirements and we just want, it's just like handcuffs. We just want to break those chains and we want to be free from God. Wasn't that adam and eve's sin in the garden of eden god said don't eat and satan came and said the reason why god does not want you to do that he wants to hold you back he knows when you eat that you'll be like god and that's desirable they rebelled against god the rebellion of the multitude if you spend any time working out in the yard you'll know that, that dandelions are inevitable And you try to remove those and you grab them and you pluck it out. If you don't get the root, it's just going to grow right back, isn't it? That's the way it is with sin in the human heart. We are born with this sin nature, this depraved and dark heart. And our actions are just the the, the symptoms of the root cause. You have a devious, darkened, sin-filled heart that wants to reject God and sees God as restrictive and wants to be free from His rules and regulations to pursue the desires of the flesh. We all have that. That's why that sign that says, the sin chair, I I claim that. That's my heart, according to God's Word. That's your heart. We see this in the anthropology, the theology of mankind, the rebellion of the multitude. And then in the second stanza, of verses 4 through 6, the response of the Maker. This is what we might call theology proper, an understanding of God. This reveals to us that God is the sovereign ruler of all creation. And as such, first of all, verse 4, his way is undisturbed. Verse 4 says, He who sets in the heavens, he who is high above the chaos, And the uproar and the rage and and all of this churning that's going on in in the human world and worked itself out in the world of of politics God sits in the heavens above he laughs and the Lord scoffs at them, now you'll notice this Lord's not all caps this word is translated Lord Adonai, It, it, it means literally King or Lord all these kings come together, but the one true king, the Lord, he sits in heaven and he sees their rebellion and he laughs. He scoffs. Reminds me of the, of the Looney Tunes cartoon, Foghorn Leghorn. You know, the, the rooster and the little chicken hawk comes at him. And he's, he's hunting for a chicken. And Foghorn Leghorn will just put an arm up on his head and just kind of push him back. And they say, Boy, I say, Boy. <laughs> Pushes him away. Just not a threat. The little chicken hogs is agitated. Just, just, he's hunting that chicken. Foghorn Leghorn is undisturbed. He's undisturbed in his way. You're, you're no threat to me. I kind of get that image as the nation are shaking their fist at God and God is just laughing and scoffing, sitting on his throne in heaven and saying, what can you do to disturb my way? He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He knows their schemes. He knows their plots. He knows their actions and their activities before they do. His way is undisturbed. His wrath is undisputed. Verse 5. He goes from scoffing to speaking. He will speak to them in His anger. And all it takes is just but one word from God. His word is powerful. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was. There was. All God has to do is just by the, the, the word of his mouth, things happen. God speaks. doesn't take any other activity from God. Just his, his word, God speaks to them in his anger and, and terrify them in his fury. We read that and just say, well, God is, is angry and God has fury. Does this mean God lets his emotions overtake him? That's typically what we think. You know, I I get angry or I get furious at something, and we think that we lose control. But when the Bible speaks about God's anger or God's wrath, it's God's pre settled disposition against sin and wickedness. He doesn't lose control. But our God is holy, and our God does not tolerate sin. Our God does not put up with rebellion. Yes, He laughs at it, thinking, Well, you're no threat to me, but then He speaks with His word. His anger and His justice is revealed. And in verse 6, we see His will is undeniable. He says, but as for me, yes, you're shaking your fist in rebellion at me. You want to tear apart my fetters and cast away my cords. You want to pursue the desires of your sin-filled, wicked heart. But as for me, I have installed.
1: I've already
0: done this. It's as good as accomplished. I have installed my king upon Zion, upon the mountain of Jerusalem, my holy mountain. God said, you, you want to rise up in rebellion against me? You want to cast away my authority? But guess what? I have already established my authority. And it was reflected in the, in the lives of the earthly kings of, of David and his descendants, but in its truest sense, fulfilled in the life and the ministry of in the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ. God's wrath is undisputed and His will is undeniable. His plans are already accomplished. Charles Spurgeon said, God's anointed is appointed and will not be disappointed. God's anointed is appointed and will not be disappointed. Jesus Christ is God's King. He says, my King. He is the King of God's own choosing and He has already been installed and coronated on the throne, it's a done deal. That's God's response to the rebellion of mankind. I've got a king. And my way is undisturbed. Now I believe I'm a good driver. My way, my wife might disagree with that. And in one of the ways that disagreement shows itself sometimes is 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 stopping. You know, I might hear this sometimes. You know uh, th- th- those cars up there are-, are slowing down. Brakes, brakes, brakes! Whoa, 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 whoa! And my response, my reaction, inevitably is something along these lines: "I've got this." Okay, how dare you challenge my driving skills, you know, fellas? We don't like that. But a- 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 as much as as I respond when 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 my ways are questioned. How much more so does God? Whenever we see the nations in a rage and the peoples plotting these things against God, and we see our own government legislating things that God's word clearly says is sin, and we say, God, whoa, 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 breaks, breaks. God, stop, stop. And God says, I've got this. I've got this. I have established my king. It's done. These nations can rise up against me all they want. It's not going to stop me. It's not going to stop my plan, my king, nor his church. We just need to know God has got this. That's the response of the Maker. Then we see the reign of the Messiah, verses 7 through 9. and What this teaches us about God specifically is about Christ Christ. Christology, theology of God's chosen one. In verses 7 through 9, God's chosen one, God's anointed king, he speaks. And it's as David is speaking, or as his, his descendants are speaking, specifically Christ, Jesus. These would be his words, verse 7. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord, I will surely proclaim God's word, I will be God's representative. And I will proclaim. I will tell of his decrees. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This speaks about his position being great. The Messiah, his position. He has a lofty position that no one else could attain to. Specifically, he's God's son. He said to me, you are my son. Now David could say this. The king could say this. But we all know Jesus, of all people, could say this. Reminds me of the scene at his baptism when God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The transfiguration, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I will tell the decrees of the Lord because I am God's Son. His position is great. His privileges are great. Verse 8, he goes on to say, "This this is what God said to me. He said to me, ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth is your possession. The king could say, God told me all I've got to do is humble myself and ask Him for His glory and He will accomplish this for me. It's what Jesus can say. It reminds me of the scene in his ministry right after his baptism, his temptation. What did Satan say to him? Bow down to me and I will give you all the nations of the earth. And Jesus said, "You know, worship God. Worship Him alone. Because Jesus already knew, all I've got to do is ask the Father and He will give the nations to me as my inheritance. I don't need to bow down and serve you. The Father in heaven's already promised the nations to me. I've got to worship and submit to Him, and it's already a done deal. His privileges are great. His power is great. Verse 9, he says, You shall break them, those nations, with a rod of iron, and shatter them like an earthenware. It's like a clay pot. And you just take a a tire iron and just smash it to pieces. That's what he says. Those nations that are in a, a rage, those, those people that are in uproar against God and they, and they want to break free of God and they can't stand God of the Bible and they can't stand Jesus Christ. And he says those nations that will not bow will be broken. And it will be a total and complete destruction. His power, the power of the Messiah, of God's chosen King, is great. Now, if you've ever played cards before, and as Steve said earlier, we don't want to advocate gambling, all right? Maybe you're playing cards and you're antying up the toothpicks or something. I don't know. But if you ever play cards, one of the skills that you must learn is how to and when to bluff, right? And how to read people and try to determine, is this person bluffing or not? And you want to call their bluff. How do we know the Messiah here is not bluffing? He's saying, you nations that do not submit to me, you will be smashed like clay pots. How do we know he's not bluffing? How do we know he's got the power to back that up? His resurrection. The power of his resurrection proves if he conquered death, if he conquered the enemy of sin and the grave, what makes you think he's not going to conquer these enemy and these rogue nations? and that individual that will not surrender to him his resurrection has proven that his power and his reign as messiah is true the fourth and final stanza we see this application for us we don't have to wonder okay the psalmist has told us these things about the human heart he's told us these things about god in heaven he's told us these things about his anointed son his Christ, His King. What are we supposed to do with this? Well, we don't have to guess because the last stanza is our application. Revere the Master. It's simple. Revere the Master. Verse 10 says, Now therefore, <laughs> in light of everything the psalmist has just said about your heart, everything he said about God and His intentions in Christ Jesus, now therefore, here's what you got to do and he lays that out for us first of all you must seek him you must seek him God's spirit is calling out you've heard these words if God is true and trustworthy here's what you've got to do first of all you must seek him here's the challenge now therefore O kings show discernment take warning O judges of the earth in other words don't be a fool don't be foolish if this is God and that's His intention, and it's going to happen, then seek Him. Pursue Him. Desire Him. Don't fight Him. You're going to get smashed like a clay pot. You don't want that. Seek Him. Therefore, show discernment. Show a little bit of wisdom. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Show discernment, O kings, O judges of the earth. You must seek Him. You must serve Him. Verse 11, Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. That word worship there is also translated serve. So that means in your mind, you're not devious and scheming things about God. You're pursuing God. You're seeking God. And then your attitude is such that you're not going to fight God. You're going to serve God. You're going to humble yourself. And you're going to pay homage to Him. You're going to do what He has called you to do with reverence and rejoicing, with trembling. Worship reverence and rejoicing. I have read it put this way. To fear God without joy is torment. But to try to have joy in your worship without fear, that's presumptuous. We need to approach God with a, a reverential fear that He is God. And I do not deserve to approach Him because I am a sinner with an evil heart, a wicked heart. I don't deserve to approach God, but by His grace, He has reached out His hand to me in Christ Jesus who has died for my sin, who has died and shed His blood to make me not only a sinner, but a sinner who has been saved by grace. I am now a saint. And I now can come before the Lord. And so with reverence and a sense of joy and satisfaction, God loves me. I don't deserve His love. But yet, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That's joy. That's satisfaction. The desire of your heart is transformed. You no longer desire to be set free from God's shackles. But your desire is to submit and surrender and find the satisfaction that only God can give. It fills your heart. You must serve Him finally. You must surrender to Him the challenge has been issued don't be a fool serve God and now we see this warning in verse 12 followed by a promise it says do homage to the son literally kiss the son as a display of your affection to God's son to the Christ come to him in affection pay homage to him kiss the son kiss the Lord why that he not become angry and you perish in the way there's your options either you're going to come to the Lord and do homage and and out of affection of your heart kiss him as a sign of your affection or you're going to perish in the way we're back to that fork in the road aren't we Psalm 1 when you come to a fork in the road take it the psalmist here says show discernment either kiss the son or perish in the way that's your two options folks I can't offer you any other solution or any other suggestion. God's Word does not allow me to do that. Kiss the Son or perish in the way. That's what you got to decide. Are the sinful inclinations of my heart worth perishing in the way? That's your warning. But then it's followed by this promise. For His wrath will soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him we're back to that statement again how blessed Psalm 1 began with that statement how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked how blessed is the man who breaks away from all the others that are angry and, and, and challenging God and rebelling against God how blessed is the one who, who breaks away from those leaves rebellion finds refuge in God how blessed that's the promise how blessed are all those who take refuge in him and why would you take refuge in him as a shelter from the storm what is the storm his wrath his fury the breaking of the earth and where with the rod of iron you run to God as a refuge as a shelter from that coming storm that storm's coming judgment is coming God has said so the only refuge I can offer you is Christ Jesus Jesus And the only way you'll ever desire to seek refuge in Him is by trusting that that refuge will save you. By knowing I need to be saved and the only chance I have of being saved is fleeing into that refuge that is Christ Jesus. That's faith. That's hearing God's Word, believing it, trusting it, putting it into action. God said, seek refuge in my Son. How blessed you will be. On the flip side, how cursed you will be if you don't find refuge and seek refuge from the storm the old hymn says crown him crown him the Lord of love behold his hands inside those wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified all hail redeemer hail for thou hast died for me thy praise and glory shall not cease throughout eternity. Folks, resistance is futile because Christ is victorious. God has established His King. His King has performed God's will perfectly to the T through His death, burial, and resurrection. He's coming again to judge. Resistance is futile because Christ is victorious. Therefore, you must make the decision that you are going to crown Him with what He deserves with many crowns. Let's pray together. Father, Your Word says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Your Anointed One, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus One day every knee will bow to Him. Lord, it is my prayer that we would do so willfully, joyfully, this side of eternity by seeking refuge in Him. Acknowledging we've got a need, we've got a problem, only Christ can fix it. I'm going to run to Him for saving grace and I'm going to cling to Him for sustaining grace. Lord, I need You every hour. Father, I pray for those who have not yet made that decision. Maybe somebody here today rebelling against God say, well, I'm not doing a lot of bad stuff. If you have not sought refuge in Christ, you are a rebellious sinner desiring your wickedness and your pursuits rather than God's. There's no hope for you if you've not sought refuge in Christ. We all need it. We all need that shelter. The storm is coming. God's wrath will be poured out. Lord, I pray every individual within the sound of my voice would seek refuge and be blessed. There's only two paths. Rejection or refuge. Refuge may we choose the refuge O oh God Lord it begins right here right now as we do an inventory in our hearts what is there what do we find God what do you show us as the, the light of the gospel shines upon the darkness of our hearts what's there God the sin that is there Lord we, we repent we give that to you and God by your grace we flee to Christ we flee to the cross Jesus is the only way. Lord, maybe somebody here needs to make that decision this morning. You're calling them to make that decision public. I pray they would do just that. Maybe somebody is being led to this church to join this church and saying, this is where I need to be. This is where God wants me to serve and this is where God wants me to worship. About the decision that needs to be made, Lord, I pray it would happen today. Maybe a Christian who's never followed you in baptism needs to make that decision. Maybe someone called to the mission field, someone called to the ministry to preach the gospel. Whatever needs to be done today, Lord, I pray, hearts are tuned into You as we sing this song of decision. In Jesus' name, amen. I want everyone to stand as we sing this invitation.